0: Hey everyone, welcome to a raw, unedited, riff for Mindful Enneagram. I haven't done anything like this uh, before, it's always gone through editing to some extent, but today's a special day for me. It's a challenging day, and I thought it would be good for me to externally process what I've been through for the last four years dealing with the loss of a friend and I thought it would be a good thing to share because there's a lot of us that are dealing with suffering and loss and some of what I would call like the darker themes of life but I'm starting to turn a corner with that notion, the notion of the darker themes and what that means and what it would look like to integrate those darker themes and to use them as leverage for growth. So this is me walking around my yard. (laughs) This is uh, recording this on my phone. I have a lav mic, uh, but the quality probably won't be as good as my snowball. But this is what I do. This is how I externally process. So I'm bringing you into this. Process and it gives me someone to actually talk to, um, which is great. So, thanks for tuning into this. So, May 4th is the day that my friend Mason committed suicide in 2017, and he was a really unique and interesting and loving and exploratory character. And our social group, my friend group up in Indiana, really took him in. He's the kind of person that could be a novelty because he's such a unique brain, and just such a, such a special and interesting and rare energy. Like People talk about one-of-a-kind people, it's, I don't think I really knew what that meant until I met Mason. So you really get this sense that you're encountering something completely different. Some, I mean, just talking to him, even the way he put the things he thought about, how he talked about the things that were on his mind. It was like entering into a, an alien landscape. And it was so exciting to have someone that was so different. And so his suicide really rocked us. Um, And when we went up for his funeral to Indiana, I had just moved down here to Florida when he passed. And I flew back up for the funeral. And we kind of pieced things together, and it seems like a lot of our group kind of left Indiana at the same time for different phases of life. And... And Mason didn't. You know, Mason, he, he tried a couple of ventures out to different places. He um, certainly had friends in different pockets. And it was cool at the funeral to see all the different pockets of friends that he'd found. But I imagine finding people that just valued him as a human being was tricky. And And we did. And we found the pockets of other people that did as well in Colorado and in Michigan. And it was really beautiful to see just the quality of people that Mason found, or that found Mason, however that played out. So, coming from a type 5 space dealing with this tragedy, the first place because I over identify with my head with the thinking center the first place I go to is the head I I try to rationalize it I try to pick the story apart very similar to what I'm doing right now sharing the story but in the wake of the news he went missing for a number of days and yeah to get that the news that he was found his body was found and you, my head go, went into overdrive and I imagine that's probably how it works across the Enneagram. Whatever your over-identification is, whatever your, your personality structure is that you kind of just drop into that full force. And man, it's been four years And I feel like just maybe in the last two years, I've started to realize that my head can't get around this thing. That it takes, it's going to take more of what I am to move through this because the head keeps telling me, all right, you've thought through it all. You understand it all. You're good. And yet, well, what is good? (laughs) What does that mean? I guess maybe we'll start there because in the wake of tragedy like this, if you've experienced it, you've probably had some form of waiting for you to go back to how you were before. And we define healing, we define good as a return to the state before the thing. And there's a second mourning process when you realize... You're changed forever. There is no going back to before the event. These events transmute us. They change us. And it's a one-way street. And that doesn't mean it has to be a bad thing. It's just a one-way street. So. So, yeah. Yeah good is not going back I think I'm still trying to figure out what being good with it means because how how can you be good with your friends going into the woods and shooting themselves in the head I yeah I don't know if that one will ever come but how I move forward in a world, in a reality where that is what happened, I think that can definitely be good. That can be transmuted. And over the last four years, I've had to surrender the fact that my head can't do this work. It can do some of it. There is is a useful place in putting the story together and seeing the chronology and understanding the psycho spiritual dynamics right of depression and loneliness and sadness and suicide those are useful things but they don't get you to a place where where you just all right cool and move on right it doesn't get you there and again that's not really the goal But there's this other places that I'm realizing that need to process this thing. I think maybe that's what good is, is letting your whole being be with it instead of just a piece of you. And this is where the centers of intelligence are critical. And where we have to be acutely aware of where we're letting one center that we over-identify with try to do the work of all, all of you. So if you're not familiar with the centers of intelligence, in the Enneagram you have a head center and a heart center and a gut center. And interestingly enough, these centers actually um, match up with physiological discoveries in the last, what would it be, probably since like the 90s, uh, that there actually are neurological networks in your heart and in your gut. As a matter of fact, I believe there's more serotonin produced in your gut than there is in your brain. So, this is a really old concept that's starting to match modern physiological understandings. And when, you, when we over-identify with one, we kind of starve the others of their ability to come in and make sense of our process information. And that might sound really weird to some of you, that it would be possible to let your heart or let your gut process information. I'm actually in a certification course right now, where this is kind of the core of it, the, the foundation of it. Uh, Russ Hudson's actually one of the, the co-leaders of it, and I'm really excited about it. We just did our first kind of week of labs and sessions and integrations. And you can probably expect more talk on this from Mindful Enneagram moving forward, either from me or possibly from other authors that have done some interesting work and written on these different centers of intelligence. But for the time being, just assume that what I'm saying is true, and that there are these other places to move from, and to sense from. What I've learned is that I'm I'm leaving my head to do work that's for my heart. And when the when your heart accepts something, it's different. When your heart like ta- fully takes an event in and lets it be, it's totally different than than when your head accepts an event or your gut. So I started doing that probably like two years ago. Well, my heart's been open for much longer than that. And again, it was, this was a major event towards cracking that open because sometimes the suffering is so great that you can't stave off the other centers from popping up and from, from feeling it, which is actually grace. So between uh, Mason and then a, a year later, another friend committed suicide who I was really close with, who was also really close to Mason. His suicide was another massive shift for me. And then in, in between that, we had Declan. Um, so there is a Declan, uh, you, all of you don't know this story, but my, my son, my youngest at two weeks old, was in the PICU for six weeks and we didn't know if they we were gonna take him home. Um, and that, maybe that'll be another story. But these tragedies, these, this acute pain, reality coming at you with its teeth barred, right? There's a grace in where that puts you, in the surrender that it puts you into. Like, you don't get to make this not true. You don't get to change the story around Mason. So, what are you going to do? And there's a maturing that happened for me where I, become, I became okay with being overwhelmed with the emotion. And I realized that that's actually good. I've already cried this morning and that's good. That's my heart getting some time to be with this, to be with the pain. Whereas historically, I would feel, I would know there was emotion coming and I would instantly suck it up into my head. Oh, I'm sad. And I would start to label it instead of being with it. And there's there's a link that I'm finding for myself between my gut, which is the instinctual center it's sort of the more like primitive, um, energies, you know, before the brain processing. And what I'm finding for myself and I'm excited to continue like experientially learning this is that my intuition is often leading me into letting the heart do its thing. It's really, it's almost like they're partnering up. Um, and I'll say this what's happening right now what you're tuning into right now this was an intuitive thing my the head does not want to just pull out a recording and talk about how broken i have been and how difficult it's been to process and to walk people through a very vulnerable and personal thing right the the head piece of it the security piece of it is like nope <laughs> this is what's the value in that but the heart wants to process it and wants to share it and the gut feels the value it says get up go pace around your pool and put these thoughts out there it's an energy of movement of action and it's partnered with the heart and i this has been the thing that i've started to feel and sense and let in and the more i let it in the more it gets equal time with the head and it's been absolutely critical to moving into this tragedy and moving through the tragedy to something on the other side that could be useful, something that could be good for the world, good for the people around me. And that doesn't mean that the loss of Mason's a good thing. It means we can, we have this insane potential and power to transmute dark and sad and tragic things into beauty into life if you're a Christian or familiar with Christian doctrine or theology this is what Christ did on the cross this is the transmutation of death into life and there's one of my favorite authors and and theologians is a Franciscan named Richard Rohr, and he talks about the cruciform pattern of reality. How what happens on the cross is actually embedded in multiple layers in all of creation. And we step into it in all these other little ways, in all these different ways, right? There's a penultimate example, and then there's these little ones. And this is one that maybe isn't even so little a way to transmute death into life in our own hearts in our own bodies in our own minds so so if you're dealing with tragedy and you're dealing with pain Are you dealing with it with all of you? Russ Hudson has this quote, a prominent Enneagram teacher, and again, the one who's leading my course that I'm going through for the next year, that we weren't created to be a third of a human being. But that's how we emerge. Because as kids, hyper-identifying with one piece, one slice of our humanity is what helped us survive. but it doesn't help you thrive it doesn't help you expand and that's the beauty of the pain and suffering of this world no one comes to me for coaching that where everything's going great <laughs> it's just not a thing that happens it's why i prefer it over even teaching classes because anybody can show up for a class and try to learn some new information but you show up for coaching when some when it's just not working anymore when the pattern is failing where you need some new tools, some new options, where you're contracted and you know you're contracted and you have a sense that there's expansion for you. And the events that show us we're contracted and that we're limited and that our pattern doesn't work are the events that cause us the deepest suffering. I call them brick wall moments where you're on your path and you're staring at your feet and you're just walking forward and all of a sudden you hit a hard object with your head, still staring at your feet though. And you think, ah, that hurt, something hard in front of me. And you back up and then you take another step forward. Oh, it's still there. Huh, that hurt even more. And you start to bruise a little bit on the crown of your head and you back up again and maybe it's gone now and you move forward, nope. And before long, you've backed up and stepped forward enough times that there's blood running down your head. Dripping down to your feet. And finally, someone comes along. You feel a hand on your chin that lifts your eye line up. And what's before you but a brick wall. With some of your blood on it from slamming your head against it over and over. And you think, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. Okay. And you pick a different path around the wall. And I tell people in my coaching, I am not going to do away with the brick wall moments. Like I don't even think that's possible. I don't think you'd want that anyway. But we can we can definitely make the amount of times you back up and slam into it less and less. And who knows? Maybe we can see them coming in the distance. Maybe we can lift our eye line up. <laughs> maybe I should be a little more optimistic about our potential to see these things coming, and have the right tools and the right awareness and presence to what's going on to to not even smash our heads into it in the first place. And maybe if we're really good, we can help other people see their walls and learn to look up on the horizon a little further. That's my hope with my work. But it's the pain that lets you know it's not working. It's the pain that tells you there's more here. So if you're in a season of pain and suffering, find the transmutation path. Lift the eyes up. Look at that brick wall. Find the places where you aren't processing it. Are you feeling it in your heart? Are you letting your body deal with it? We ignore our bodies so often. That's a whole episode, at least, on its own. I'm really grateful for a lot of the somatic healing work that's emerging because, boy, do we treat our bodies poorly. And it's a whole place. It's a whole center of knowing that we bludgeon and beat with diets and exercise routines and, you know, all kinds of pushing it around but not letting it be. And we do the same with our minds, let's be honest. So, some of us need to engage our minds more. We're lost in an emotional glaze. We're lost, we're mired in it. And we need to engage our head and our body more. Some of us are just deep in the body, some of us are deep in that anger, that gut anger. And that's all we can feel. It's all the tragedy. We're only let, allowing it to be in that one place. And we need to let that move to the heart and up into our head. We need to bring our whole being to our pain. And again, it's not going to make it go away, but you're going to bring all of your faculties to bear. You're going to let it fully in to all of your processing points, to all of your centers of intelligence. And there's something inside of that space where I want to say the magic happens. That's just so vague, (laughs) but it's true. It's true. When we bring our wholeness to it, good things happen. Connections get made. And I'll tell you the thing for me that's come out of bringing my whole being, learning to bring my whole being to the loss of Mason into really all of my suffering has been that I can now spot the suffering in others. It's like, it's like the fact that I've turned all of my sensors on to look at this thing fully, to let it be exactly as it is from every center of intelligence has allowed me now to apply that same sense-making out onto people around me. And you know what's strange is people seem to sense that. Like they come to me as often as I notice it in them and ask if they need to talk or how they're doing. And I can tell the people that I can lean into as well. I can see the people. They, they talk a different way. They move a different way. They, they hold their emotions differently. They think differently because they've let reality into all of those centers of intelligence. There is something about suffering and pain that turns us into pain and suffering sniffer-outers. We find it. We see it. And because we've been able to carry it, to bring it in fully and not mitigate it, not lie about it, not sugarcoat it, but take it in fully... Now we're able to walk with other people fully. And we don't need them to get better, quote unquote. We don't need them to be good, quote unquote. Because we know it in ourselves that that's not what we needed either. We need to be fully in it. And I'm telling you, when I look around the world... And I see the pain and the suffering and the, the dualistic thinking politically and spiritually and from a gender perspective, sexuality. What more do we need than people who have fully internalized the pain and the suffering of the world? So they can then step into and walk with others who are deep in the throes of pain and suffering. So, I think that's it. I think that's what I have for you all. And I hope, I hope there's hope in this for you. And if you haven't gone through a deep tragedy, and a lot of these words sound alien and foreign, and you don't have a body sense or a heart sense or a head sense of what this would be like, just remember these words, because none of us get out of this thing unscathed. And don't take that as an ominous thing. It's grace. It's, so, it's such a paradoxical reality that pain and suffering could be grace. And if you know somebody who's in the throes of pain and suffering, do not tell them that it's grace. Again, this thing has layers to it. That's not what I'm saying. But when you're in it, bring it in fully. And man, maybe before we wrap, I have to say something about taking the actual time. Again, we want to be good and we want to be good quickly. And that's not how this works. That's not how this, the process of pain and suffering and grief works. And I don't know what to do about our culture that doesn't give us space for this, but could we give space to each other? Even if your job doesn't give you the leave you need, maybe us as family and friends could give the space with no pressure, no hooks, No need for them to be better for our sake. Let's learn to sit with them. And if we're the ones suffering, let's learn to sit with it. Stop muting it. Stop running from it. There's a work happening. Bring it in fully. Into all of you. Get angry and cry and process and read all of the centers. Let it in fully. Let it be what it is. If we can get this, I can't even imagine what would happen in a culture that took this seriously. Or even a subculture that took this seriously. Or even a family that took this seriously. Or even a friendship that took this seriously. So that's where I am. And that's my charge, my challenge for anyone listening in. And thank you for listening in. Take care.